0: You're listening to Do South on North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri.
1: And I'm Leonida Inge. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome
0: Paula Poundstone. Paula Poundstone is that comedian that pretty much all of you are familiar with. Our name, of course, is Paula Poundstone, everybody. Paula Poundstone. You've heard her for years on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Nobody Tell Me. Paula Poundstone, it's Paula Poundstone. Hey! She's been a fixture in U.S. comedy
1: for decades. She's an author and a host of the podcast Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. But what do you actually know about the person behind the funny, Paula Poundstone? Welcome to Do South.
2: Well, thank you so much. You know what? That name, Leonida Inge, is that should be in every mystery novel there ever is. I do, it's a great name. And by the way, does it not use every vowel?
0: There's Except no. Except for sometimes why. For getting technical. I know. It, I know. Well, it's I, a beautiful you name.
1: You know, Paula, I'm so Southern like a lot of women that I know in these parts. We were just named after our daddies. My dad's name was Leonard. So they oh, just made really?
2: up yeah, they made up Leonita. My sister, uh, I have a sister named Peggy, who was named after my father's dog.
1: now i feel kind of
2: bad for the dog because what a stupid dog name um but you know you think about how whisper close she came to being named you know spot or i know fluffy so yeah Yeah. she really got she really got away with something there well it's so nice to be here and by the way i was born in alabama
0: we heard Um, that's where we wanted to start paula you and peggy have southern roots tell us about your southern roots
2: well, I only lived there for a month uh, because I'm the youngest in my family. My father was up in Massachusetts getting his job the night I was born, and uh, so a month after I was born, they moved up to Massachusetts. So I was raised by Southerners uh, in New England, and we used to vacation in Alabama. I'm, I mean, I'm you know I spent time there uh, because it's where my it's because it's where my mother's family was. Um, so I had all the women on my mother's side of the family chewed snuff, and they held it in between their uh, lip and their gum with their tongue, and so they talked to you like that. <laughs> so I'm very familiar with that. I, I don't believe you. I think you're just
1: making that up.
2: Who would make that up? What kind of a proud legacy is that? I, I think I mean that's how they all talk. Well, they say, well, "Paul, I come was, give me some I sugar." I was born
1: in Alabama. And I Were you? never you? Yeah, I was born in Mobile. Alabama, right on the Gulf, and um, I just don't remember snuff. I just don't remember it even existing at all. It was
2: repulsive, repulsive, and they would keep a can on the floor by their feet And it was like a clabber girl can or a chock full of nuts can or like wax beans. Like who would eat wax beans on what day? But apparently they would just open the can, dump the wax beans and save the can. Uh, And they would spit their disgusting... You know, spit addled uh, um, uh, snuff into the can. Yeah. Oh my God! It was. It it really. You know, you think about all the the fractious situation uh, with the wars around the world and the threat of nuclear. And I think you know what? Forget nuclear weapons. Take a plane load of the stuff that came out of my aunt Irene's mouth. uh, Fly that over Russia. I think you'll find them bowing to our will in the future.
1: Well, you know, we're trying to dispel some of that, you know, on Due South, you know, all the conversations that people kind of like to laugh about when they think about it. So did you take that
2: habit back to Massachusetts? Did you teach them how? I did not. I did not. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what we took to Massachusetts. What? Which was my mother's southern cooking. You know, I don't eat meat now, but uh, it's because I don't want to bother something that would rather I not eat it. It's not. It's not because it didn't taste good. It tasted great. Um, my mother would make string beans. Right, you'd snap them, and and then cook all day long. But the first ingredient was I don't. They didn't. I don't think she even put the beans in yet before she put in a big cube of port fact. Right, and uh, I, I don't think there was anything she cooked without pork fat. I mean, I think oatmeal had pork fat in it, and it was delicious. And, and then the cornbread made in the black skillet, sliced like pie slices. And then at the end of the meal, we would have um, cornbread with uh, butter, of course, because that's important, and then uh, covered in molasses. And I would finish like a plate, but like my cor- my cornbread was swimming in molasses. I would finish a plate of that and say, "What's for dessert?"
1: <laughs> you know, I would you know pick on you about that, but I was doing things like that even for my babies. I mean, it just, <laughs> I mean, food. I mean cornbread and a little sugar and mush is, I mean, I'm oh, kidding. It's it the hurts. best.
2: I never understood, being the daughter of a a Southerner, I never understood that string beans could be served uh, with some sort of structural integrity. Um, You know, my mother cooked them all day. And so by the time you ate them, they were like smushy. It was more like a casserole. Uh, So the first time I went to a friend's house and they served string beans, and I thought I was excited about it, and then I found this thing that I could barely get a fork through and half of it shot across the room when I cut it. Uh, I don't like string beans
0: that way. Uh, Paula Poundstone here on Do South. Paula, this is a throwaway comment. Uh, we're going to see if you run with it or build on it. Uh, but you grew up in Sudbury, which is 20, 30 minutes west of Boston. I grew up next to Sudbury in Wayland, Massachusetts. Uh, oh, sure. I don't know if I have a question here other than you got the southern roots. You've got the, the metro Boston area uh, upbringing. Uh, do you lean one way or the other? Do you do, do you have northeastern influences as well?
2: Oh, absolutely! And I'm one of those terrible, sort of sponge-like people without any real personality of their own. So if I go to the south, uh, suddenly I'm talking with a southern accent, and yes. if I go back up to New England, all of a sudden I have a Boston accent. There's no, I have no bacon. I, you know, I'm telling you, it's, I don't do it on purpose, but it does happen. Like if I go, I'm not a big world traveler, but the couple of times I've gone to London, uh, you know, I was only there for like a day or two and I come home sounding like the Artful Dodger. It's humiliating. I don't do it on purpose, but you know, part of it is because, I don't know, I think I'm probably a fairly good uh, mimic, I think. Um, I was just up in Massachusetts someone hammered me into going to the Sudbury Historical Society building oh yeah um which i i have to say was I, you know being raised there our zip code was 01776 and I always believed— I
1: did not know that it existed such a zip code. And yeah, was I always
2: believed yeah. that it had to do with our, you know, colonial roots, that it's because we were like an early town, uh, you know, that there was some reason. for It turned out, no, the code for any zip code up that way is 17, right, 017, and then— you know, 76 happened to be the number we came. It was so disappointing. It turns (laughs) out like nothing I believed about Sudbury was like when my kids, you know, when you grow up someplace, you don't go to the, uh, you don't go to the tourist things when you grow up there. And so I, I, you know, I drove by the little red schoolhouse, which was like a famous place in Sudbury. I, I, I drove, we did go to the penny candy store, uh, and the old country store and the, I had never been inside the grist mill but we have a grist mill in Sudbury, Massachusetts. I believed all those things were built like when those kinds of things were built. Uh all this time I thought that. I took my kids one time to visit Sudbury and I was showing them all those things and telling them about how you know this is from colonial times. And now there are these big wooden signs before each of these, these uh, I don't know what you call them, you know, things that you would visit, these historic sites. There's these big wooden signs that say it was built by Henry Ford in like 1930-something. Oh so my whole <laughs> origins, it's going to turn out my parents weren't my parents, which is just <laughs> as well. Well, you know, I want
1: you to talk about um, your family a little bit more, but first just really maybe... Um, Maybe some of the other female comedians that you saw back in the day that inspired you. You know, what made you do, really, I figure, one of the hardest jobs out there, making people laugh without them, you know, wanting to kill you afterwards.
2: Oh, it's not a hard job at all, by the way. Any, is it? Any, no, no, any moron could do it. The hardest thing about being a comic um, is getting on the plane. That Everything else... <laughs> This gravy. Uh, everything else is pretty darn easy. I love the sound of laughter. I love the response of laughter. Nature has given us this coping me- mechanism of a sense of humor. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that we're the only species that has it. I've I've seen raccoons that I think have it. Uh, I think probably dogs have a sense of humor. And probably the animals that were closely related to like, you know, chimpanzees and monkeys, I would guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so it's a what a great thing. What a great bomb. Like you think about now the stressful times that we're in, how great that we can, you know, go, uh, you know, laugh for a couple of hours in the theater somewhere and uh, and put it all aside for a little while, or actually laugh at some of the things that we're struggling with. That that's a great technique. Uh, well, any
1: role I, models out there other than your family that you're picking on from Alabama?
2: Um. Uh, yes. I I loved when I was growing up. I wanted to be Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett, Gilda Radner and Lily Tomlin, and Madeline Kahn, Mary Tyler Moore. And I missed all of it by a country mile. But mm. <laughs> those are some uh, great but, women. They are great women. But I'm very lucky that I get to do the job that I do. I mean, I wasn't really familiar with stand up comedy when I was a kid because when I was growing up, A, there were only three television stations. And B, um, you know, there was only one late night television show, which was uh, The Tonight Show. And it was on late at night, and my parents didn't really enjoy my company well enough to keep me up that late. Uh, so, I, you know, I didn't see stand-up comics uh, in the beginning part of my life. I saw comic actresses.
0: So what was it that opened that door or inspired you to think about, if not become, a stand-up comedian? Was it watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, or, or what kind of opened your, your uh, eyes to that?
2: You know, the first sentence of the last paragraph of the summary letter, written by my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Bump, in I think it was May of nineteen sixty-five, said, I have enjoyed many of Paula's humorous comments about our activities. Uh people did when I I mean I I, I, I my mother kept the report cards and such in a in a in a drawer in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Um and so I when I was old enough to read, I did read that occasionally. And I, I so I was very inspired by an adult saying something positive about something that I did, which honestly I didn't hear a, a, a lot. Enough. Um, you know. In fact, the following year, first grade, the teacher said that I was prone to emotional outbursts and I had bad handwriting. So it was really downhill from kindergarten. But I held on to that idea. Um, and again, I love the response of laughter. Um, and so I had wanted to be a comic for years. I didn't know what the path was. You know, if you're yeah. going to be an engineer, right? You go. You know, you go to college for a long time. You're, you know, you go with in the old days a slide rule uh, and a calculator and and you know a really sharpened pencil uh, and you just develop the skills to be an engineer. And then you know, there's career day at your college or whatever it is. You get a job being an engineer and off you go. Um, and for a comic, the path wasn't that clear to me until uh, it was 1979. I was bussing tables for a living, so it's not like I turned my back on a law degree. Um, I was bussing tables for a living in Boston, and they, uh, I, I, I went into a club one night. That it was a, I went to see a music uh, show, you know, band, but they had a flyer up on the wall. Um, for a show that they did there at that place every other Sunday night um, that was stand-up comics. And they had really just started that before I saw that flyer. And so I went to see that stand-up comedy show. They had, I think, five or six comics on the bill, and they were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, many of them are still working, by the way, and they're great. But, you know, you have to start somewhere. And so the first time you go on stage, guess what? You're not that good. Uh so uh, when I saw these mostly really bad comics, I thought to myself, yeah, I can do that. But I hadn't really considered like stand-up comedy per se before that.
0: Paula Poundstone is here on Do South chatting about her career and uh, the art of stand-up comedy. We're going to step aside for just a moment. We'll be back right here on Do South on North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. Welcome back. It's Due South here on North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. And I'm Leonita Inge. Paula Poundstone is joining us on the line from her home in Los Angeles. We're chatting about her work in comedy. She is, of course, a very familiar voice to you, a longtime panelist on that very funny hour-long program, Saturday mornings across the public radio world. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Paula, we want to chat about- Is that how
2: long? Is that how long (laughs) that show is, an hour long?
0: I think so. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I'm there for most of it. You're, Leonita's a loyal listener. She, she catches I every I listen
2: all the time. I, yeah. When is the
1: last time you were on, actually, live? It's
2: been a little while because, and this broke my heart, um, September 28th, uh, they taped the show in Los Angeles at the Greek Theater. Um, you'll recall, Leonita, that um, Bob Odenkirk was the Not My Job guest, and you know the Greek Theater in Los Angeles. It's one of the only really beautiful places in Los Angeles. Hmm. It's an amphitheater, and uh, it is gorgeous. It's um, and uh, it's big. I mean, it's thousands. I think it's like I don't know six or seven thousand seat place. Mm-hmm. And so I contacted my boss. You know, normally over time, I, they don't normally tell the listeners who are gonna be the panelists on each show. I don't know why they don't. I don't know if it's to give them flexibility so that you know they can just grab somebody. I, I don't know. Yeah. But in my experience, I never knew. So I have never promoted when I was gonna be on Wait, Wait before um, because I didn't think I was supposed to. So after all these years, and I've been there for like, I think 22 or 23 years now. So after all these years, I write to my boss and I say, hey, um, do you, can I promote that I'm gonna be on that show at the Greek? And and he wrote back and said, please. So I started making videos showing people how I prepare uh, for uh, for wait wait don't tell me and telling Los Angeles listeners that I was gonna be you know at the Greek and they should get tickets and on my on my podcast um, uh, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. I would you know take take a minute and say hey I'm gonna be at the Greek blah 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 right promoted it promoted it right, promoted. Right. They even wrote to me me and said thank you so much for your help and uh i got covid a couple oh, days no. before and so i could oh my gosh i was heartbroken and the thing is i the the television show better call saul which i have on dvd i literally have watched it's amazing i uh, it's a, it's it's brilliant um, I Because I have it on DVD, I can just watch it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think I've watched it like start to finish probably about 50 times. And the idea that Bob Odenkirk was going to be there. Because uh, he's the star of that show. And, uh, oh, my gosh, I was heartbroken. I had this fantasy that when whoever replaced me that night, when they first went out on stage, that the that the crowd would be like, hey, where's Paula? And that they would take a minute. They would have to take a minute because the chance of the live audience would grow louder and louder saying, where's Paula? Where's Paula? <laughs> and that Peter would finally have to say, we're so sorry, but Paula has COVID. Hold it. We'll put in a call to her. None of that happened. You should have paid somebody to do that. I should have. Honestly, you're right. What was I thinking?
1: When you're on the road, or maybe when you have a little time off on the road, who do you,
2: what comics do you like to go watch? I don't watch any. You really? Um, I, no, I really don't. It's kind of a busman's holiday. I will say that I prescribe sometimes for people, like sometimes people on Twitter or email or even people will write me like handwritten notes sometimes and they'll tell me some God awful thing going on in their lives. You know, lives are stressful and difficult. That's just life. Um, and, and I often write back to them and I say, um, make sure you drink a lot of water make sure you spend time walking near trees and uh listen to Bob and Ray um who are the old radio uh comedy team yeah and you can just you know you can find them on iTunes and uh they're just so damned funny uh so yeah but i don't i don't know a lot of other you know i don't I, when people tell me like the names of comics now, I'm like, really, huh? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I work you're alone. Busy.
1: I know you work alone, but I remember definitely hearing you over the years talk about your kids. I'm sh- I'm surprised they're not on the road, <laughs> comics. So how are they doing? Tell me about your family now.
2: Oh, they're they're alive, and I feel good about that. The start. Um, <laughs> they're you know I'll tell you something, Leonida. Do you have kids? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh! They're because alive. I'll tell you. They're yeah, doing that's. Okay. I feel good about that. Um, they, are, uh, you know, my 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 kids are not little anymore. They're not fun anymore. They are young adults, and parenting young adults is a, it's a horrible phase of parenting. Um, frankly, <laughs> I not mean, mine my, are five my and two, So
0: tell me why.
2: Oh, uh, to, well, my young adult years were pretty. We think back to when you were a young adult. You know. They're very dramatic years, I think, um, and uh, it's just not—it's just not fun to be a parent to a young adult. Um, they because uh, they think say, they know okay. everything. Well, because I think, for me, anyways, I think the key to parenting young adults is keeping your mouth shut, and that's not really my strength. Uh, Fair so enough. you have to say a lot of stuff like. Well, that could work out. <laughs> know somebody else told me that. Just not,
1: just notch your head and smile. Yeah. That's yeah. the key. Yeah, That's yeah.
2: The key. In fact, I'll tell you something. At this point in my life, I don't even. I mean, I don't even see my kids that often because i just recently had some eye surgeries Mm. and it still hurts to roll my eyes Ah,
0: that's important so
2: (laughs) yeah it's more i wouldn't see my
0: i wouldn't see my wife for a month if she couldn't roll her eyes
2: yeah you know it's a it's a talk about talk about your coping mechanisms
0: has your comedy changed though right like we 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 think about the heavy times in the news we think about and this is my term here kind of a societal sensitivity And that's a whole other conversation. But is it harder to be a comedian? Have you had to adjust what you're delivering?
2: Um, I don't think it's harder to be a a comedian. But uh, my my act is largely autobiographical. So when I first started out, I talked about busing tables uh, and taking public transportation um, and, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, Leonita, uh, you know, I was very public about, uh, 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 about raising my children. I had a lot of my kids growing up jokes. It was more, it wasn't so much jokes about my kids growing up as it was jokes about me figuring out parenting, um, which by the way, I don't think anybody ever does. Um, and, and now, um, a lot of my, my time and my energy and my focus, well, I have 10 cats and two big dogs. So honestly, they take up some amount of time, <laughs> but a lot of my time and my energy and my focus, um, just, just generally in life, uh, is I'm watching our democracy pretty carefully. Um, uh, and you know, and it makes my heart pound. Uh, I, I am not a political analyst. I am not an expert, um, But I do, in my comedy, reflect, you know, I tell people what I saw. Uh, You know, I I tell people my reaction to what I saw or what I read. Um, I try not to, I don't want to drown the crowd in politics because I feel like, you know, so many of us feel like we're drowning in it already. Um, But uh, I think it's what a lot of people are struggling with. Um, is the situation that we're in. And uh, so, yeah, so I talk about it. Um, My act is different every night. Uh, My favorite part of my show is talking to the audience. I do the time-honored, where are you from? What do you Mm -hmm. do for a living? Mm -hmm. And in this way, little biographies of audience members emerge. And I use that from which to set my sales. Somewhere in my head, uh, there are 44 years of material floating around. And I always tell people, mm. I feel a little bit sometimes when I'm on stage, like I'm in one of those um, amusement park uh, mm, arcades where they have the the glass booth and you go into it and they blow paper money around and whatever you can catch, you can keep. You gonna do I that at that, your show? I know oh that's God. what the inside of my get... head looks like. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. like if somebody tells me, for example, um, I don't know if somebody uh, tells me that they uh, that they're a teacher. Uh, if they tell me that they're a substitute teacher, that they're a teacher, you know, then I I might tell a story from me growing up mm-hmm. and uh, you know it, my my eighth grade Spanish teacher Miss um, Delorme who became Miss Loftus and I think probably quit the year after she had me. Well, Paul, um, are you are you the
1: kind of comedian? Um, who says no cell phones, no videos, no pictures, you know, from the audience? Are you one of those? No. Okay. Uh,
2: no. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think anybody's going to find a lot of bootlegged Paula Poundstone uh, videos on the online. I'm not too worried about that sort of thing. Um, no, in fact, I mean, it's not like I tell anybody to take their, take their their camera out and film me, but no, I don't generally. Every now and then the theater will have those rules and they they might make such an announcement, but I don't. I don't really think about it. Plus, I figure it's probably in the end um, a good thing, uh, you know, to have people... You know, and to, you know to have people circulating at some little bit of what you right. do or a little I mean if it was a, if it was a horrible image, at one time years ago I was on a radio station. this is a long, long time ago. I, I was uh, I was on a radio station and someone faxed the radio station It was a morning show. Someone faxed into the radio station a picture that they had taken of me on an airplane, but the thing is, I was not the subject of the photograph. They had taken a picture of someone else, and later when they were looking at the picture, they went, wait a minute, isn't that Paula Poundstone right there? Uh, uh, And you know, it was was me on an airplane. It was with my mouth hanging open and my head leaning on the window and very unflattering. (laughs) Uh, Ah, so that sort of thing I'd like to put a stop to. But now I just put a blanket over my head when I'm on the airplane. So if you go on an airplane and you see someone with a blanket over their head, it's probably me.
0: She has been a comedian for 44 years, as well as a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me for more than two decades. And this Saturday, she is performing at the Carolina Theater of Durham. Thanks so much, Paula Poundstone, for joining us here on Due South.
2: It was great talking with you. Thanks so much.
0: I'm Jeff Tabiri. I'm Leonida Inge. This is Due South on WUNC.